0: Whether you're trying to break into the fashion world, make yourself more marketable, launch your own label, or become a successful freelancer, we'll help you get ahead in the cutthroat fashion industry. This is episode 53 of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast, and today I'm chatting with Shelly Simpson. Shelly is the talent director of the fashion division at Atrium Staffing. And if you're wondering what all of that means, Atrium Staffing is a team of recruiters that help you land your job. So Shelly manages the entire fashion division of that company and I'm really excited to bring her interview to you guys today because I've been wanting to get a recruiter on the show for a while. A lot of you guys have been asking me for a recruiter and let me tell you, she gives us some really, really great advice. She's super candid and transparent so she doesn't sugarcoat it, she's honest and she tells things the way that they are, which can be hard to hear, but at the end of the day is really, really what we need to hear. We need to hear the truth. And we need to hear hear it transparently. She goes through tons of great advice on what you want to put or not put on your resume, how to put together a portfolio that's going to get noticed, and what you can bring and do in an interview that's going to get you the job over someone else. We go through the gamut of advice for entry-level employees and people trying to break into the industry to what you can do as a seasoned employee that's looking for a new opportunity or trying to find a job after getting laid off. The other thing you're going to notice in here is that I asked Shelly a couple questions from listeners, and you may be wondering, how do I get my questions answered on the Successful Fashion Designer podcast? Here's how you do it. You go to patreon.com slash SFD. And there is where I post upcoming guests and you can put your questions. So you get an advanced preview of who's going to be on the show. And you get to post your questions. And I'll choose the best ones and ask them to the guests on the interview. So if you want to take a look at who's going to be on the show in the future and you want a chance to get your questions answered for those specific guests, Head on over to patreon.com slash SFD. And if you're familiar with Patreon, no, you do not need to pledge. You do not need to donate. Um, Everything is available uh, front-facing. So so don't worry. It's not going to cost you any money. You can post your questions and view all the content there absolutely free. All right. Now let's jump into the interview with Shelly. As always, to access the show notes for today's episode, visit sfdnetwork.com slash 53. Welcome, Shelly, to the Successful Fashion Designer podcast. Can you please start by introducing yourself and letting everybody know who you are and what you do in the fashion industry?
1: Yeah. Hi, everyone. I am Shelly Simpson, um, and I am a talent director at Atrium Staffing on the fashion division team. Um, I specifically specialize in direct hire placement, um, but we do have a temporary team as well, and I worked on those for two years as well, so I'm very I'm um, comfortable discussing, you know, freelance opportunities as well as permanent opportunities um, as well.
0: Okay, fantastic. So, um, so many questions I have about, you know, working with recruiters and what can designers do to best position themselves in the market. I'm not even really sure where the best place to start is, but let's, let's begin with this. Um, let's say that I am a designer and I am looking for a new opportunity that may be, you um, because I got laid off or that maybe because I am just not happy in my current position. Um, what's the best place to start to work with someone like you within your company?
1: Um, before you even reach out to a recruiter or anyone, I always think the first important step is to really get your resume up to date and, you know, an updated portfolio, or at least have recent work readily available that you are going to be able to present to a recruiter, Um, so that they can give you feedback as well. Um, so I think kind of gathering all of that in the beginning is really important. Um, and then as far as like reaching out to a recruiter, there's no real steps, you know, I think just reaching out, letting them know what you're looking for and they'll really take it from there. And, you know, I, I always would hope that most recruiters would want to set up at least a call and then meet you in person to really get to know you better and understand your, you know, wants and, you know, also educate you on what they're seeing in the industry as well
0: okay and so um as i'm putting my resume and portfolio together i'd love to talk about those probably independently because they're two really really big topics and i think they're two places where um designers or really any any fashion professional can get kind of stuck and hung up like i know designers who have literally spent six to twelve months working on their portfolio before they feel like they're ready to put it out there um So, so let's start with that one. Like when it comes to your portfolio, what, what advice do you have in terms of how to best present yourself? How to, what should you really be putting together? What are brands really looking for within that space?
1: Okay. And that it also really depends on kind of the level you're at um, as a designer as well, and and what you fall into. If you're more mass market or corporate, your portfolio is definitely going to look very different than someone who's more contemporary or luxury, um, just based on what the companies are looking for. So, and kind of break it down um, into kind of few different categories and what it should look like. Yeah, I'd love um, to hear about as, that. As far as an assistant level designer, we do get a lot of them that just come with a portfolio that's full of schoolwork, which is great and. I mean, you know, you've worked on that so hard. You've done presentations most, um, you know, if you've gone to a fashion school, especially in New York, you've definitely done like a senior project. Um, you're really proud of it. But what we see most clients are looking for is the work they've done in their internships. Mm. Um, so I think it's important to have some of your schoolwork in there, but anything you can take from an internship is going to be key. Um, and it, that's going to be some of the basics. They just want to know that you have the systems, especially if you're going to be going to a corporate or mass market company that you've worked in Photoshop and Illustrator. They're going to want to see some of your flat sketching. Um, They're also, for assistant designers, really going to want to know if you're able to do tech packs. Um, You know, that's not just a a responsibility delegated to tech designers that we're seeing today. Mm -hmm. Um, It is something that sometimes get pushed on to assistant designers. So we do get a lot of clients... Assistant designers have that capability. So, even if you don't keep your tech packs in your portfolio, because I know presentation wise they're not like the prettiest things to have, mm-hmm. but always bringing a couple of those with you um, on an interview. Mm, As you start to get more experience, I think your portfolio should really tell a story. Um, I really like, I think companies like to see your entire process. So in the beginning, and you can have different sets, um, depending on categories, or if you want something to focus on knits, or one to focus on wovens, or if you did juniors and then switch to men's, um, but each category should really, you should have something that talks about trends um, that you're seeing, have a mood board, um, where you drive your inspiration from. Um, a lot of companies still want to see that hand sketching, um, and then so I usually include that after you know kind of the um, the trend presentation, um, and then after that definitely your um, Illustrator Photoshop sketches they're going to want to see in there, um, and then you know if you have any work that it's been published or you have on a website sometimes you may want to include that as well Um, but you really want to kind of start from your process from the beginning all the way through finished product um and you definitely want it to be stuff that you've worked on in a current role or your, you know something that's relevant um presenting work that you did 10 years ago is really hard because companies want to see what you've done most recently and are you in tune with what's going on the market today yeah okay Um, yeah go ahead Oh, sorry. I was going to say as far as like, because contemporary does get a little bit edgier
0: yeah.
1: Um, and it doesn't need to be as structured as what we typically see. Um, your sketches aren't going to be, I don't know where you kind of draw your inspiration and all of that is a little bit more kind of out there and edgier. So I would say having not so of a structure portfolio for contemporary is a little bit, you know, it's, it's okay. Of course you still want to show your process and show that you do have those computer skills, um, but it's a little, it's okay to go a little bit more outside the box with kind of your presentation, your mood boards, your trends and all of that.
0: So just like maybe getting a little bit more creative in how we lay it out and we present it, we can be a little bit more, like you said, a little more creative and clever in some of that. Whereas in a more corporate type of space, we want to keep that pretty clean and structured layout format. Am I understanding that right?
1: Yeah. And you definitely want to be drawing trends and inspiration from, you know, if, especially if you're applying for a certain company that, you know, or some of their competitors and what's going on in that mass market industry. Um, you know, if you're applying for a job at, let's say, like Kohl's, you're not going to be wanting to have your whole book about, you know, this abstract, you know, that you see on the runway trends and all of that, because it's not really applicable to the job you're applying for. So catering to that is really key with your, um, with your portfolio as well.
0: Yeah. Okay. Really interesting. And I love, um, it's been pointed out on the show a couple times and it's something I've talked about a lot, but like showing the process, it's not just about showing the illustrator flats or it's not just about showing the photos of the end product, maybe from a catalog photo shoot or something, but it's really showing. And like you even said, even some of the hand sketches, um, on that note, like, can you talk a little bit about that? Cause me personally, I'm terrified of hand sketching. I have very bad pen and paper skills. Um, there's a lot of listeners out there who are really, really good. But, like, what do you suggest if that's just something that we feel like our hand sketches look terrible or we just don't really do that? Like, what do
1: you think? Yeah, and it's not something that you're necessarily going to be doing in the job, it's just a part of the process of course, if it's not your strong point, leave it, <laughs> leave it out. Um, you're <laughs> never going to want anything in your portfolio. That's not showing you in the best light. Yeah. Um, you know, if you do, if hand sketching is, you know, something you're really strong at, then of course include it, but it wouldn't be, it's not going to be required in most roles unless you're like at the couture level um, you know, then they're definitely going to want to see that. And that's something you should be pretty strong at. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as most of the roles we see these days, it's not required, but if it is a strong point, I always think it's nice to show that in your process, you know, where you kind of get started, yeah. um, with your ideas.
0: Okay. Fantastic. Um, I'd love to know, like just looking at, cause this is something I know a lot of people get caught up in is like, how many projects should I be showing? Should I just really look at showing like three? Or do I want to show 10? And I think it can be a really like fine line between showing what you're capable of, but also like overloading your book or your website. So what do you what's your best practice or suggestion on that?
1: Totally. I mean, especially if you've had, you know, years and years of experience, you have such a great body of work. So really paring it down is key. And that's what really comes into catering to your audience. And the client that you're interviewing with, Um, you're gonna want to research. You know what they have on the market and your work previously that really speaks to that. Um, It really depends. I always say like at least like three to four kind of storylines is great. you don't, if you wanted to, I always say having extra stuff with you is great. And if they do want to see more work, it's available, but you're not bombarding with them up front. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you have a catalog with some things you did and you have them earmarked, bring that in your, in your bag along with like your tech packs. Um, so if they do want to see more, you can show them that, but I don't think pulling out, you know, a catalog of work that is all, um, you know, f- photography that is the, like the final product is necessarily something they're going to want to see all of. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think just catering to your audience. Um, I will say what we see for most, not necessarily assistant level designers, but occasionally, but from associate level up, if they do like you and, you know, want to bring you on board, most of the time, they will have you do a project for them as well. Um, that really caters to their audience and what they're looking for to really showcase your skills.
0: Okay. Um, Okay, so before we get to that, because I have a couple questions on that, I want to talk a little bit more about the portfolio format. So a couple of the references you have made are more like once you're in the interview, your foot's in the door and you're, you're you know, having this live, real-life interaction. But before we get to that, um, what's the expectation of having a you know, full-blown website versus maybe a portfolio page on stylecareers.com versus having a few different PDFs in Dropbox that you can link to?
1: um well it works a little bit differently because coming from a recruiter you're always gonna when we're sending your information over to a client of ours we're always going to include a few snippets of work um that you sent to us to really kind of entice them um that we feel really cater to their audience and showcase you know that you're the best person for this role um as far as like a website goes this is where I, i typically unless your website is very specific and caters to a certain audience. Um, and I want my client to see that I typically avoid sending that to clients because sometimes you can have such a ray of work and you just don't want them clicking on the wrong link and being like, Oh, she does swimwear, even though, you know, you're applying to them for like a knits position. Mm-hmm. Um, you just want to make sure that if you are presenting that to a client or, you know, somewhere you're applying that it's, it's a fit for what they're looking for. Otherwise you never know where they're going to end up on your website. So it just needs to be very well thought out if you do, you know, intend to send that out.
0: Yeah. Okay, go ahead.
1: Uh, I was gonna say as far as like style careers, I know that's kind of new adding like PDFs um, I personally don't look at that as much, but sometimes it, it is helpful um, again it's only it, it's only a small selection of what you do so you don't want it to limit you as well um, when you're you know imp- uh, uploading that stuff on websites like that.
0: Gotcha okay um so so we send our work to you and then you kind of filter it obviously to to send what makes the most sense for the client that needs needs the the employee um and then can we talk a little bit about resumes and like what are you seeing in terms of what works what stands out what are people doing to get the attention of the brands at the end of the day on their resume
1: Yeah, and I think resumes kind of go through trends just like fashion trends do. (laughs) They
0: do. Um, Yeah,
1: sometimes, you know, with like, let's have a big paragraph at the top and then let's, you know, put our qualifications. um, You know, let's get really creative with cool fonts and, you know, get all creative with the layout. But what we're seeing right now is simple is better. (laughs) You really want it to be, they say it only takes like six seconds for someone to look at a resume and decide. Yes or no. Sick. Um, so seconds. you don't want them to have to, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you don't really want them, you want those key points to really stand out. Um, so I really think for me, it's very simple. You know, it's up to you if you want to put education at the top or bottom, but that should definitely be on there. Um, and of course, you should do it in. Um, in order that it's your most recent position is first. Sometimes I get some entry-level candidates that start with their first position. Mm. It gets very confusing. (laughs) And then you're like, wait, have you not worked for five years? Um, So just to make it pleasing on the eye, always put your most current position at the top. Um, Make it very simple, your title, the name of the company, the dates you were there. Um, I personally like bullet point format. Um, It just is very quick and easy to spot. You don't even need to necessarily have full sentences. You really shouldn't have like periods on the end of your um, bullet points. Um, but what you do and what, and I, it's tweaking your resume to each position as well is like your portfolio. What, those, what you did in your last role that's most relevant to your position you're applying to should be at the top of those bullet points. Um, and really depending on how long you've been at the role, but I would say about five or six bullet points for each role. Of course, if you've been there for 10, 20 years, It's going to be longer if you were only there for six months or it was an internship, you know, two to three is pretty adequate. Um, I also think not making your resume too long. And it's funny because you would think, you know, these people that have been in the industry for 20 years, but where I really see this is with my entry level candidates. It's Mm -hmm. they have every internship, every retail job they've ever had on there. So when you first (laughs) glimpse at their resume, you're like, oh, wow, they've been working for 10 years. And then you're like, wait, they're, oh, they're just graduating. But their resume makes it look like they've been working forever. So you want to make sure that you have your most important roles. Um, nobody needs to know that you were a cashier at you know Best Buy or that you were a hostess at a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's not relevant to the job you're applying for, you can take it out as long as it doesn't leave like a gap in your, in your you know your positions.
0: Yeah. So, okay. I have a couple questions about the resume, but just to address that one that you just said, like, how are you finding people addressing gaps? Because there could be, you know, our industry is, is very heavily female. So maybe you took two years off to have a baby and spend some time with your family, or maybe there was just a long gap in unemployment because of the, the economy or something. And so how do you suggest, or how do you see people kind of working around that and filling that gap in in a comfortable and and moral way.
1: Yeah, and I wouldn't say that's something something you want to put like right on your resume. Um, but I do think when working with a recruiter, th- it's great because we have the relationship with the client. And how we work is we always send a blurb over to our clients when we're submitting them for permanent positions, um really highlighting their skills, why they're a good fit for this role, and we always put in there why they're looking either to leave their current position, why they've left and try to explain any gaps in their resume, because it's, Mm. it's always going to come up as a question. So we try and address that um, before it even comes up. Um, And I always think being honest is going to be the best policy. Um, You know, you need to, you don't want to keep making up different stories and, you know, get yourself in a pickle. Um, You know, if you did have a kid and took some time off, definitely be honest about that, but also highlight, you know, but I have been staying on top of it or I did some freelancing in the meantime, I also did some projects um, and really kept up with my, you know, Photoshop and Illustrator skills while I was out. So highlighting what you've been doing during your gap.
0: Okay, that's great. Um, you you've mentioned the Photoshop and Illustrator skills quite a bit um, throughout the interview. And what are you guys seeing in terms of the market and and the requirement of that skill nowadays?
1: Ninety nine percent required.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah. Um, it's very rare unless you're doing you're like, um, doing trend development, but those roles are so few and far between. Um, we have a very, very hard time placing someone if they don't have, you know, that skill set.
0: Yeah. Um, okay. And then on the resume, um, I mean, I get the short format and all the bullets and stuff. Um, what are your thoughts on, or, or is this something you guys talk about or that you see a lot of? sort of this concept of like a results-driven resume. And so instead of looking at just what is the task that you performed, but also highlighting what was the result of that within the brand? What was that the result of that within the company? Did it, you know, get more sales? Did it, um, did you design some best sellers? Were you able to negotiate MOQs or source fabric that, that had a lower uh, price or, or anything like that? Do you see a trend in that?
1: Yes. So definitely being able to quantify your experience is very important as well. Um, so I'm glad you brought that up. I would definitely anything that you succeeded in and you can put like a either a monetary or a percentage on that, you know, was an increase or that you changed something um, or any successes you have. You implemented a new procedure that, you know, changed um change the timeline or move things along quicker. Mm -hmm. Definitely put that in a blurb as well. I would say, not in a blurb, sorry, in your bullet points. Um, But I would definitely put them under like your main tasks. Um, So make those the first three and then the last two, you know, quantify your experience. But yes, I would definitely include that in the resume. And that's something you definitely need to be doing in your interview as well.
0: Yeah. Okay. So that leads perfectly into the interview. Um, so let's say we, you know, we get our our at least our online version of the portfolio or whatever template uh, we're working with in a PDF. We have our resume. We work through a recruiter like you, and we get the interview. So, how do we best prepare? What you know? What can we do to really stand out in that setting?
1: Um, well, I think the great point about working with a recruiter is is they also know their client better than you know, just being able to study them online. Sure. So any like solid recruiter should really be prepping you for the interview before and kind of giving you those inside tips of what um, the hiring manager might ask, what they're really looking for and what research to do. Um, So that is one of the benefits of working with an agency um, is really getting that insider information. Mm -hmm. Um as far as like what you need to prepare before, definitely, definitely research the company, look them up online, know their product, um, look them up on LinkedIn, um, look at the news. Are there any recent articles? How is the company doing? What are they doing well in? Um, but anything that's relevant or uh, newsworthy or new, you, you should be um, privy to that and be able to bring it up in, in an interview. Yeah. Um, so I think that's most important. And I always like to say before, Um, especially if you haven't interviewed in a while, you really want to study your resume so that when you're in an interview, you're not just reading off it the entire time. Mm. You want to, you did that job for so many years. So you want to be able to speak to it. You know, this is what I did each day. Um, and this is the successes I've had. Um, but really speaking to it in a natural way, not they've read your resume. They know that. So you really are telling it to them, but adding and embellishing to the resume. You're really creating a story for them when you're in person.
0: Yeah. And I love, you mentioned earlier, like bringing some printed out tech packs, which is, um, I mean, to be transparent, I, I've been uh, done independent and entrepreneur type of work for 10 years. I've literally had like three interviews in my entire life. So <laughs> I am not one of those people that like, can do that skill necessarily very well. Um, like a job interview kind of terrifies the daylights out of me. It's just not something I've had a lot of experience in. And so I love the point of like, bringing some printed out tech packs, um, or you know, bringing some catalog with some pages earmarked. Anything else that we could physically bring and maybe like have in our back pocket that would really impress them or show them that that we're the right candidate for the job?
1: Um, it really depends on like the opportunity. Sometimes I'll get sweater designers will bring some swatches of some like knits um, that they've done. Um, so something like that where you maybe don't want to bulk up your portfolio, um, but you want to have those because they're relevant to the position. Mm. Um, so any anything like that, that you don't want to mess up your portfolio, but you just have in case they ask. Mm-hmm. Um, I also tell candidates, we have a couple of um, companies in particular that are all about the process. Where do you get your inspiration from? And we ask those candidates, do you have like a little notebook or a journal or something that you're constantly drawing in or where you're, you know, putting your thoughts and notes? Because um, a lot of designers do do that. So I say, I always tell those candidates, bring it with you. You never know. And I think it's always good to show that you're constantly thinking and drawing inspiration from the world around you. Mm. Um, So that's something else to kind of keep in your back pocket. You could always pull out if they do want to see more work.
0: Okay. That's a great suggestion. Um, On that note, is it essential to bring a physical portfolio if you do have like a nice website that you could maybe walk through them on an iPad or something? Are they really looking for that physical book?
1: So it really depends on the company because we are seeing a lot more candidates now that will bring their iPad um, and run through it. Um, my concern with the iPad is you still want to make make sure that it's um, it's organized. Mm-hmm. You don't want to have to be opening up a ton of different PDFs and be like, oh, here's this work and here's this. You still want it to tell that story. So really even creating like a PowerPoint presentation um, that walks them through a few of your projects that you've done in past roles. Um, But making sure it's organized like a portfolio would be in person is going to be key if you are bringing an iPad.
0: Okay, but that is accepted. You don't necessarily have to have the book.
1: Yeah, I think some clients, it depends. Some are a little old school and do want to see, you know, the portfolio in person. Um, But I would say most companies are open to it. They've moved into the digital age. Um, But as again, a recruiter should be able to coach you on that if a company, you know, really wants to see your portfolio in person.
0: Sure, sure. Okay, great. And then um, I'd love to talk a little bit about... You know, you mentioned earlier that you've done a lot of placement for for freelance or contract work versus um, full time. And I when I was chatting with one of your coworkers and coordinating this interview, she made a comment to me that I had never really thought about, but that. That designers or, or fashion professionals, um, you know, whether it's a technical designer or what have you, can kind of get pigeonholed in the freelance versus employee position. Can you talk a little bit mm-hmm. about what you see within that and, like, let's say I've been doing freelance for five years or I've been in as an employee for five years and I want to go to one versus the other. But I, and to me, I didn't even really think about that, but she said that that comes up as a challenge. So can you talk a little bit about that and like how you creatively see people kind of getting, you know, changing course a little bit midway if they want to. Yeah. I
1: think it's always going to be easier if you're a permanent employee and then want to switch to freelance, um, tenure, of course, looks good on any resume. They know that you can commit to something, um, so that's an easier transition. I will say we do see candidates that um, we kind of call them permalancers, who have freelanced, you know, for the past five years, um, and for some reason, you know, they they enjoyed it, it worked with their schedule, or now they're not seeing as much work, so they really want to look for something permanent. Um, and it is it is difficult. We even have a difficult time, you know, getting clients to see those candidates um just because to them they see oh can they not commit um you know to a position why because everyone thinks why why wouldn't you want a permanent position um and some people don't to be honest especially if you are creative and you have the ability to you know work from home or have a flexible schedule um a lot of people like that um again i think it's it's really knowing as a recruiter, we have to know our clients and what they're looking for. Some of them just will not look at candidates that don't have that tenure on their resume. Mm. Some are more open. And again, it's also educating them on why you were freelancing. Why again, like, you know, why you had that break in your resume, um, just being upfront about it and, you know, discussing it up front. Um, you know, I have been freelancing. I really enjoyed the flexible hours um, you know, I was taking care of my kids at home, but now they've gotten older. So I'm really looking for a permanent opportunity and I'm super excited to, you know, commit and grow my com- career with a company.
0: Okay. Um, so can you talk a little bit more about the freelancing? Cause it's interesting from, from what I've seen a lot, especially in big fashion hubs like New York and LA, the, um, and I'm going to use air quotes here. The freelance role is By the books, not technically freelance, because if you look at freelance from like a a genuine legal perspective, it means you work your own hours, you work on your own equipment, you you meet deadlines, of course. But in the fashion industry, freelance, again, with quotes, has been known to be you come in-house and you work on a project for maybe it's three weeks, maybe it's three months, however long, um, and you're there sort of nine to five like a regular employee, um, but you're not getting any of the benefits. But you've just made a couple comments of like, oh, you know, maybe you needed the flexible hours, you needed to be at home um, with your kids, and you have the ability to work from home and be more independent. So what do you guys really see in terms of this freelance versus contract? And to me, they're two pretty different things. Um, again, maybe it's just linguistics. But but what are you seeing right now with that space in terms of people wanting the flexibility of doing remote from home, like true freelance and opportunities with brands nowadays?
1: Yeah, I I get with the wording, it can definitely be confusing. And I kind of interchange, you know, temp freelance contract, um, created equal, but again, yeah, they, they necessarily (laughs) aren't. Um, I will say the majority of the roles that we work on, um, that are temp positions are you're going into the office 40 hours a week on, you know, nine to five type of gig. Um, we occasionally do get some work from home or work remotely roles, um, But I would say those are probably only about 10% of the roles that we work on. Um, The majority of them are those 40 hours a week. And we do work on a lot of roles that are long-term. So, you know, past three months, three to six months, sometimes they'll want a freelancer for an entire year. Um, So it can really vary. And if you're working with a recruiter, they should be able to better educate you on the time period um, that the assignment will last. Okay. Um, If you're looking for something to kind of work from home or... Get a few hours here or there, I do think those positions are usually better found on your own as opposed to like an agency where you're kind of committed to like, you know, their client's hours.
0: Yeah. Okay. And so then now a quick etiquette question. I hope you're okay with this, but like, um, what is, you know, what's the etiquette on do I need to commit to working with one agency? Do I sign a document or can Mm -hmm. I work with two or three recruiters so that I try to keep my options open?
1: Totally, I get that all the time. And I think sometimes candidates are scared to be like, oh, yeah, I'm working with another right. agency. Oh, like they're cheating secret. on you. Yeah,
0: yeah, right. It almost <laughs> is like dating. Like, oh my God, I'm totally cheating on them. <laughs> yeah, I totally get it. When I was
1: looking um, for jobs myself, I was working with three or four agencies. Um, you know, some agencies do work with similar clients, you know, um, but a lot of agencies also have clients that are, you know, just solely they work with. So that's where I think, you know, you're going to um, get your maximum benefit um you know is to work with multiple agencies i just think the best thing is to be transparent though with other agencies if you know you've already been presented f- for a role another agency can't present you you're not getting in through the back door mm-hmm. um th- every company has a database so you know if you're if you're not being honest with your other recruiter and said oh no i never applied or i've never been mm-hmm. submitted they're going to find out and it's just you know it's wasting our time it's wasting your time um so i think when working with the other agencies you're it's best to just be transparent, you know, where you've already applied, where you submitted. Um, so you're not wasting anyone's
0: time. Okay. But like fair game etiquette, I can say, Oh, I'm working with Shelly at Atrium and I'm also working with Jenny at this other agency at the same time concurrently.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean if an agency is making you sign a contract that you're solely working with them, um, I would definitely question that. We don't, we don't require our candidates to, you know, solely commit to us or work with, you know, one agency, Um, we just ask that they be transparent with us.
0: Oh, that feels relieving. Because yeah, like you said, at the beginning, I almost would feel like, Oh, God, I'm cheating on them. And then I want to keep it a secret. But in reality, you guys are okay with that. And we just need to be honest.
1: Yeah, and I think you'll also find who you like working with, you know, every Different people have different personalities, as my boss likes to say. There's a lid for every pot. So, <laughs> you know, you may not want to work with a recruiter at one agency because you don't like their style or you never hear back from them. But, yeah. you know, someone else um, at another agency you love, they always get back to you. You know, they treat you really well. So you may, after a, a year of working with two and be like, you know, I'm just solely going to work with this person because they work really well with them and they understand me. Yeah. So it's also developing a relationship and, you know, learning what works for you.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Um, I'm curious to know, you know, you've talked a lot about sort of entry-level, looking at entry-level resumes or portfolios, and you see a lot of, uh, you know, let's say school projects. Um, What are some of your best tips or advice on getting your foot in in the door with little experience? And so let's say, you know, maybe you... Didn't have any internships for whatever reason, and you're coming out of school, or maybe you're um, mid career in a different industry and you want to break in. Um, and this leads directly to a, a question from a listener, which is specifically Is it possible to break into the fashion industry with no experience but lots of engineering and, and uh, modeling and sophisticated CAD experience? Like, what, what does that really look like for someone?
1: Yeah, and I want to be totally transparent on this because I'm all about not wasting people's time. Um, when you're when you're looking for a new job and you're specifically looking to work with an agency and you want to switch industries, careers, um, you don't really have a lot of experience. Um, an agency is not going to be probably the best route for you to take. I think that's more you working on LinkedIn to you know make connections, really networking, seeing who your friends, who your family knows, um, because working at an agency, we're pretty much at the mercy of our clients. Mm -hmm. That's how we get paid. So, you know, we have to service them with what they're looking for. Um, and unfortunately, if you don't really have the work or the resume to back us, back it up, we can do all the sweet talking we want, but in the end, you know, they're not going to meet with someone who doesn't have relevant experience. That's what they're paying us to find. Right. Um, so that's always my advice to those candidates is really network, find out who, you know, to really get your foot in the door, Um, but an agency isn't always the best route for that. Um, it's funny though. You did bring up that, (laughs) the candidate with AutoCAD, um, because recently, so sometimes you never know, sometimes your skills are transferable. We did have a freelance role recently with a footwear company who was looking for someone with AutoCAD and didn't necessarily have to have any fashion experience. Mm. Um, so we do get those out of the box that are really (laughs) random roles. So there are, but I would say most of those are going to be probably freelance Um, They're never going to if you're in a permanent position looking for another permanent position in a totally different industry, it's going to be very difficult um, to make that leap.
0: But at least that gets your foot in the door into like something other than, you you know, you're not just I mean, and like you said, it's pretty rare, but it can happen. And I think keeping your fillers
1: out there, um, but I think networking with who you know and on LinkedIn is so important if you are looking to make those changes because you never know who you know that can really vouch for you and is like best friends with the ceo at your dream company sure um you know where we're not going to have that same leverage um makes it it just makes it a little bit difficult um as far as entry-level candidates i cannot stress enough like internships 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 it is so key to really getting a position in this industry and it's so competitive right now um, that you're, you know, going up with candidates who have spent the last three summers interning in the exact field they're looking to go in. Mm. Um so that's where I really say and even if you are just graduated but you don't experience, get an internship then. Don't just expect that you're just gonna get a job, you know, making fifty K because you got a degree in fashion merchandising. Yeah. You know, I I hate to burst candidates' bubbles, but that's just, you know, not the way the world works. You still gotta have some experience. So um, even if you had to take an internship for a few months uh, right after you graduate, doing that is going to be so key and will really help elevate you moving forward.
0: Okay. And now, I don't know if you can speak to this, and it's it's definitely different. I think it's different depending on the state or maybe the city that you're in. Um, but in what do you see in New York City? Are, are interns expected to work for free or in exchange for school credit, or do they have to be paid like a base minimum wage?
1: Ooh, not the best <laughs> to legally speak
0: on that, to be honest.
1: Okay, um, I think it can be either or, but I honestly would have to look that up. I'm not going to be the most educated person
0: to speak on that. Okay. Um, but but there is I think on some level, like there's some expectation that like you got to put in some sweat equity. And maybe that's minimum wage. Maybe that's an exchange for school credit. But you got to get out there and do the experience.
1: Definitely. And you're going to benefit for it, even if you are making a little bit of money or it's only for school credit. you got to think long term that this is really going to benefit me and I'll be making more money down the road because I did this. I think you get a lot of entry level candidates and they, like you said, put in the sweat equity. you got to do that early on. You're not just going to come out the gate with a degree making, you know, $60,000 a year. Um, You know, now so many people have degrees. It's not really a leg up. Um, you know, in getting a job. So you really got to stand out and have that those internships, you know, to really back you up.
0: Yeah. So are you seeing people figure out creative ways to sort of create experience and opportunity for themselves to break into the industry without getting that degree? You just made the comment that like, everybody has a degree. So it's really not that valuable anymore. Um, Are you seeing people get like kind of break in and get that experience on their own and build it?
1: Not that you don't need a degree, everyone. Okay. You <laughs> still
0: go to school and getting a degree. So very important. You
1: must you must have that. Um I I do see some people and I think it's really taking your experience and relating it to what you'd be doing. You know, if you do have great Excel skills or you were in finance, really relating that to maybe like a buying or merchandising position mm-hmm. in the fashion field. Um, and I think when you're applying to jobs, if you can do, I'm not a big fan of the cover letter, but at least if you could even write a blurb about yourself and why you're a great fit for this job and how your skills translate, Mm -hmm. um, is really going to help them make the connections because they're not going to make the connections themselves. You really need to highlight that for them. Yeah. Um, that would be, you know, my one suggestion.
0: Okay. And then what do you see in terms of like people, um, kind of getting creative with doing like self-directed projects. So maybe I'm a knit designer, but I want to break into swimwear or vice versa or whatever it may be like a different category. And, you know, I'm mid career. I don't really have the opportunity to do an internship um, or the time or the capacity or, or what have you so I'm going to take the initiative to do some self-directed projects. You know, I know how to design, I know how to do the process of like putting the mood boards, the sketches, all that together. Do you see that type of angle working for people kind of looking to maybe change categories?
1: Um, Again, that really depends on the company and how open they are to it. You know, some companies are very particular in like, you know, if you're going to do swimwear, we want someone with five years of swimwear Mm. experience, especially if you're going to be at that designer or senior designer level. Um, even doing a project, um, it's still, it, it's really difficult. I don't mm. want to be like a dream crusher here, but, yeah. um, they really at that level, I think it's easier when you're at the assistant associate level to kind of change categories, um, you know, and do projects on your own and really sh- get, like show that you do have that set. Um, but once you've really been ingrained in a category, it, it is very difficult to break out, mm. um. Like I said, it's finding the right company who's willing to take a chance on you. Um, but if you have ten years of sweater sweater experience, um, you know, moving into denim bottoms is really going to be a hard sell.
0: Mm, okay. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, if you can still do all the design work, but like knowing the intricacies of each individual product, there's just so many different variables when it comes to that. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Um, okay. So I'm curious now to know your thoughts on and and I'm going to kind of quote this from other interviews that I've done with people, but, um, or actually things that people in my audience have directly said to me or emailed to me, but this sort of um, woman slash person, most of the time from the stories I've heard, it's a woman who's, you know, she's been in the industry for 20 plus ish years and she gets laid off And so she's now considered, quote-unquote, like an older job seeker, and she seems to have a really, really, really hard time getting placed in comparison to someone who's, you know, maybe a 20-something and is willing to work for half the rate. Um, who obviously doesn't quite have the breadth of skills or experience, but with brands being in certain positions financially or, or whatever the reason is, um, that seems to be a really tough position for many people. What do, you, like, do you have any advice or tips for someone who's in that category and just can't seem to get their foot back in the door?
1: I don't know that I really have any advice for him. I mean, we do see it. I think now, at least in New York with this salary ban in effect makes that helpful. So you, that, you know, nobody can ask who's making what. So they're not like super undercutting people, you know, um, people gonna be get paid for the work that they're d- doing. Um, as far as someone who is more senior in the industry, i um, getting laid off. Um, to be honest, I don't see too much of that, that they have a difficult time getting jobs. Mm. Um, Because I do think that fashion, it depends on, like, the skill set, especially if it's hard to find. Um, Regardless, you know, their companies aren't going to be, you know, particular to that. Um, You know, it's sad to say we do occasionally see that. Um, But to be honest, it's kind of hard for me to speak to because I don't, I work with a lot of more, like, seasoned candidates Um, And I really haven't had difficulty placing them. So I think it's also knowing the companies and knowing the right opportunities um, as well. And again, that's what's great about working with a recruiter. They may know like, hey, this company, you're not going to be the right fit for, but this company, you know, you're spot on. So
0: That's actually really refreshing yes. and good to hear. And maybe it's just that my inbox—you know—people people talk when they have something like to complain about or something to be sad about, and they don't always talk when things are going really well. So maybe it's just that I hear yeah. that a lot. <laughs> um, so that's actually really, really refreshing to hear. Um, I'm 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 feeling a little bit relieved on that. Um, all right, fantastic. Um, any like just general like what are what are would you say? Can would I be? actually can yeah, go I go ahead. can I go back
1: to that because yeah, I do see do. this where. Um, senior candidates are for seasoned candidates are, um, they are worried and they, maybe they haven't gotten work for a couple months. So they start applying to associate level or coordinator jobs, even though they're mm. a senior or manager level. And I always tell them you're doing yourself a disservice. Mm. Um, by letting a company know, you'll, I'm willing to take that to like prove myself, you know, they're, you're gonna be reporting to someone with less experience than you. Um, You could probably do their job. Um, So you're really, I mean, you're underselling yourself when you're um, applying to those types of jobs or saying, oh no, I would take this. Um, You know, you need to be confident in what you do in your skill level, otherwise a company will see that. Um, So I think think when you're, I see these candidates trying to apply for jobs that are way, way below their, their skill level, Um, it's not working out for them. You really need to stay at the level you are, if not, you know, trying to reach for that next level. Um, you know, it's really not going to benefit you. And I think, you know, you're just spending, spending your time, you know, applying for the jobs you're not going to hear back from.
0: Yeah, that's great advice. And I think it kind of comes down to like what you said is the confidence level. And A company wants someone that's confident, because especially if you're, I mean, the fashion industry, you have to be confident, you have to stand up, you have to voice your opinion, you have to be able to like handle some of the constructive criticism and all that. And so if it starts to show that you're looking either um, maybe a little bit mousy or desperate, then that's going to be the first sign that they're like, oh, I don't know, that's not really who we want to work with.
1: Yeah, why are you a manager level, and why are you applying to our associate role? Like that's that is concerning right off the bat. Yeah. Um. And and just wait until that company, you may be you know shooting yourself in the foot because two weeks down the road they may have a senior position. They'll be like, well, this person applied for associate role. Now I'm now we're really concerned so yeah. you're you're really doing yourself a disservice by um you know undercutting yourself and your skills
0: okay i think that's great advice and i think it can be tough because obviously you know if you're out of work for a couple months like finances get really tight so you are you can get to the point of I just need something, but I think you're, you're right. It's doing yourself more damage than, than good in the long run. So great. That's a great point. I'm glad you yeah. interjected that. Um.
1: So I was going to say for uh, those types of roles, if you've been, you know, if a candidate you've been employed for a couple months, but you've strictly been focusing on perm, maybe it's a time to consider freelance so that you're keeping your skills fresh and you know, you're working, you're not going insane. Um, <laughs> you know, trying to figure out what to do with your time. Um, but companies would like to see that, that, you know, you've been proactive, you continued working. Um, so rather than applying to an associate perm role, maybe take a freelancing role. That's that's like maybe a little bit lower level to keep yourself working. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and you may have to take a little bit of a lower rate, um, but at least you're working and continuing, you know, to add to your resume and. Your skill set.
0: Okay. And then I guess we just have to kind of be careful of that fine line. If we don't want to flip into the permalancer, the full time freelancer that is hard to break out of and get full time employment, it, it's just a balance between, you know, this is a three month gap I'm filling in versus getting sort of stuck in that cycle if that's not where you want to be.
1: Yeah, definitely and I think you should still be actively applying for permanent positions, you know, if you, even if you are on a freelance assignment. Um it's not to say that if you freelance even for a year you're going to be, you know, if you had 5 years at a company before that. Mm. That's going to speak louder than a year of freelance. It's when you freelance for the past 5 years and you've been at 10 different companies um then it gets a little concerning because it's like, well, why didn't any of these keep- people want to keep you on as a freelancer? You know, it's been a long period of time. You know, if you freelanced at one company for two years, I mean, that's basically the same as a permanent job. So you just have to that's kind of where the line, you know, is kind of drawn on those things.
0: OK, gotcha. Um, do you see much of this sort of freelance temp work turning into full time or is it typically pretty cut and dry? They know they need three months or six months or nine months and then it's done.
1: I, I would say it's pretty 50, 50 for Mm. what we see. Um, and we know a lot of the clients that they may not say it's temp to perm, but we know it's long-term temp and they do convert like maybe 70% of their candidates. Um, we work with a lot of those companies and then you do get the companies that are just very upfront and they say, Hey, this is for a maternity leave um, it's just a three month coverage. That's all we need. Sure. Um, it's always, freelance is always a foot in the door though. You know, you get in there, you prove yourself. They absolutely love you. A lot of companies will find a place for you, Mm. you know, maybe on another team, you know, doing something different, but, um, you really prove yourself and companies, you know, consider you an asset. Um, you know, they'll find, they'll find a place for you. So that's why I always really sell candidates that are either like entry level trying to get experience or, you know, maybe you've Employed for a month or two, it's it's a foot in the door, um, and it's better than you know not having a job.
0: Yeah, well, and like you said, I mean, I've owned my own business for ten years. My dad was an entrepreneur and owned his own business, and we both know firsthand. And I've heard it from other people and other business owners as well. It's hard to just find the people that work really, really hard. And so, like you said, you get your foot in the door. You prove that you're just a hard worker. You're willing to put in one hundred and fifty percent effort. They will find a spot for you uh, because that work ethic is priceless.
1: Yeah, we've had candidates that it was supposed to be short term. Two weeks in, they're like, "Um, "We want to, we want to convert this person to a permanent employee." (laughs) They're so spot on. Yeah. So you really never know. That's why I always tell my candidates, I would be open to those opportunities, Um, and you're always adding experience to your resume.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Great point. Um, awesome. I would love to ask you one more question from a listener. Um, this comes from Robin, and it's a very clever question, so I'm really excited to hear what your answer is. And Robin asks, what is the skill or asset young fashion designers promote about themselves that has the least impact?
1: Um again, I think that really goes back to like the school projects um or presenting, you know, in your in this when they did a senior show. Um, it's just as great as it is, and I'm not trying to diminish anyone's, you know, accomplishments. Um, it really comes down to that real world experience in your internships. Um, so as talented as you may have been in school and were top of your class, um, if you don't have that real world experience, it's, you know, it's not going to really do you any good. Mm.
0: Even if our school project or our, our senior collection, like really looked, Commercial and marketable because I know that's one thing I've talked about it with another guest is the you know the conceptual design versus like the real world design and, and school projects can tend to lean a little bit more artistic and out there um, so even if it's even if I've put together like a really realistic sort of presentation
1: i mean i definitely i definitely think that will help i'm not going to say like don't you know your school work didn't matter or anything but it does need to be you it still should be that presentation i talked about tell a story so you need to have the mood and trend burns sketches you need to have the flat sketches um and then you you know the real world product where i get a lot of candidates that it's you know and i don't mean to be rude but it's like their friend took pictures of their you know handcrafted project they yeah. did and it's just um you're doing yourself almost like a disservice by showing that. yeah, um it's they'd rather you show you know only four or five pieces of work you did at your, your internship this summer at you know, a design house than have you show four years of schoolwork,
0: okay, Gotcha. So definitely a lot of, and I think it's it could be hard. I mean, I've never been in that position, but I think it can be hard. You just spent, like you said, four years, a lot of money in school and then you don't even really want to show it in your portfolio I and that that's a tough nut to swallow but I get it it's it's sometimes not the most realistic or practical project to present and it sometimes is really hard to make it come across as real world experience not that you would ever try to put up a facade and fake it as it but um, there's just a difference at the end of the day what you get from a school project and what you can do from your own photo shoot versus what happens in a, a real professional brand
1: Yeah. And and it's, it is relevant. And that's why I tell a lot of entry-level kids, especially in design, I think it's really hard to get positions. So that's why I always suggest freelancing. Um, even if you can't get it through an agency on your own, um, is a good way. Um, you know, a lot of companies will give those entry-level candidates, you know, opportunity to, you know, try out, see if they can, you know, hit the ground running. Um, so that's why I think sometimes you also can't have the expectation you're going to get a full-time salary, position out of school you know especially like I would say in design um, I think freelancing is a good way to start building that up
0: mm, okay so you do your internships and then you really see most entry-level people starting at freelance that ultimately could or you know maybe the next opportunity turns into full-time yeah okay um especially you don't
1: want to go you know out of school you don't want to go you know one to two months without working that's why i'm like you can still look for permanent opportunities while you're freelancing but it's going to add to your resume and build to your book of work um so that you are more prepared for that when you do get that permanent interview
0: okay interesting that's not a very big window of time one to two months that feels a little bit of pressure
1: (laughs) yeah i mean if
0: you take the summer off
1: whatever but i mean you really don't want to go longer than like three or four months not working um Then then you start to get those gaps on your resume and okay. it does become a little bit, you know, concerning for um, potential clients.
0: Okay, okay. All right, really, really great advice and super actionable steps. Um, I really appreciate your 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 candid and transparent. Uh, I know you said a couple times. I don't want to sound come off rude, but no, you have to be realistic and you have to be honest about you know what people need to prepare and what they need to expect because you can't paint a fake picture for them. That doesn't do anybody any good. So I really appreciate your transparency. So if anyone out there listening wants to get in touch with you and and work with you as a recruiter, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, Well, I'm going to
1: direct them first to our website because I know you said some of your viewers are in the fashion industry and some are not. um, And we do cover other industries such as finance, um, admin services, creative marketing. Um, So if you want to go to atriumstaff.com, you can find out more about our company and the services we offer. Um, If you are interested in fashion positions, you can reach me at ssimpson at atriumstaff.com. And I'd be happy to answer any of your questions, um, help you with your search or put you in touch with the right, um, the right contacts who can assist you.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for that. And I will link to all of that in the show notes. Um, I have one last question for you before we close out the interview. I ask every guest this at the end of the show. And that is, what is one thing that no one ever asks you about working in the fashion industry that you wish they did?
1: Oh, you know
0: what I can say? <laughs> I'm almost thinking the opposite because I'm like, one thing people
1: always ask me that I hate is they're like, oh, you're in recruiting and fashion. Oh, so you work with a lot of models. Oh, <laughs> 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 That's one thing I wish they didn't
0: ask me. Oh. I'm like, no, I don't work with models at all. Yeah. <laughs> not, I love that. Yeah. No one's ever given the question that they wish people would stop asking. I love that you did that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm just, it kind
1: of struck me. And then I was like, actually, I wish that I get that all the stop time. Stop asking like, oh, me so that. I <laughs> models. I'm like, no, I do not work with models whatsoever. <laughs> Everything on like the corporate side. Yeah, behind the scenes. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't really know about that. I wish they would ask me. Um, I don't know. I, I that. I really can't come to mind. I feel like I feel like people are pretty transparent and I'm transparent. So they think they feel they can ask me most anything um, <laughs> and get an honest answer. Um, yeah. So I don't really have trouble with people not asking me my thoughts.
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, I appreciate you giving all of them again transparently on the on the show. Really valuable insights for everybody out there listening. Thank you so much for your time, Shelley. It's been great to chat with you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Heidi. And I hope everyone enjoyed and I was able to answer everyone's questions. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you for being on the show, Shelly. I really enjoyed our conversation and I appreciate each and every one of you listeners. Last, if you'd like to learn any more about the resources mentioned in this episode, visit the show notes at sfdnetwork.com slash 53. And if you're curious to know how you get your questions answered on the podcast like Robin and Scott did today, head on over to patreon.com SFD. You do not need to pledge or donate if you're familiar with how Patreon works, but it is where we are posting a preview of who's going to be on the show in the future. So you can check out upcoming guests and you can also post your questions for a chance to get them asked on the show. Again, patreon.com SFD. Thanks so much for listening, you guys. I will talk to you in the next episode of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast.